Hi, I'm Peggy. And I'm Dave. And this is Amped. Hey, Dave, how are you today? I'm very good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. We finally have a break in the heat. It feels like fall is finally here. Thank goodness. In case you missed it, I have not been happy this summer. (laughs) I didn't miss that. Yeah, I, I... Come to the conclusion we had one ninety-eight degree day this past week in October. Uh first week in October and it was ninety-eight and I was miserable and I think I'm just too old to deal with that kind of heat anymore. So I'm very, very happy for fall like autumnal weather and autumnal activities and all kinds of good stuff. Well then this is the right time of year for you, it being autumn and all. Yes. So, and that actually kind of leads us to our podcast today, um, which I, I brought this topic to you last week because I was at a pumpkin patch, one of those farms that kind of, they throw up some slides and throw some pumpkins out and get everybody who is excited for autumn and excited for fall to come and play at the farm for a few hours and pick up your pumpkin, Right. Yes, And um, I go to those places a lot. We have a lot of them around us and we try to go to every one of them um, because my kids love playing at farms. Um, But it dawned on me when I was at them that, you know, they're not easy to get around. And when I was trekking up the side of a hill to go down a stupid little barrel slide i noticed somebody down at the bottom of the hill in a wheelchair and they just looked absolutely miserable and i couldn't help but think i could totally see why they were miserable because if you weren't able to get around that particular farm would really suck um and it you know they're just they're not accessible And so in today's podcast, we're going to talk about um, a little bit about the ADA and what it does cover, what it doesn't cover, why it doesn't cover it. Um, You know, we can't assume that every place is going to be completely accommodating and completely accessible and what we can do to kind of navigate and safeguard against those situations. Yeah. And I think one of the common misconceptions is that the ADA applies to everything very broadly. And, and it, the, the ADA, there are, there are limitations on it. So why don't, why don't we start with the ADA itself, Peggy, and then we can go a little bit more into um, the types of public accommodations that can't be easily modified and how, how we can enjoy them. Perfect. So in terms of the American with Disabilities Act, the, the, you can go back and listen to one of our, I think, first podcasts. I think it might have been number seven. I think it was in definitely in the top 10 uh, or the first 10 that we did um, about the American with Disabilities Act. And um, Title Three prohibits discrimination in public accommodations and commercial facilities. And it requires allowing disabled individuals to equally enjoy accommodations in those facilities. Um, and it requires reasonable accommodations to ensure equal access. So the logical be, question becomes, doesn't the ADA effectively outlaw why we're having this podcast? Like the, the scenario you just described, um, why doesn't the ADA protect 
that person at the bottom of the hill in the wheelchair? And the and the answer is that existing facilities need only remove barriers when readily achievable, and it must be easily accomplished. In other words, not too difficult or costly. So ramping a few steps are, or installing grab bars are readily achievable, but throwing blacktop across an entire farm um, so that there's a trail or laying a sidewalk is not inexpensive, um, and it is not um, it is not easy to do. So those are examples of things that are difficult or costly to do and therefore not readily achievable and falls outside the scope of the ADA in this context. So, you know, I could totally see why, you know, obviously a, a farm, I encounter the same situation for like strawberry picking and things like that. Um, if you go into them knowing that they're not going to be kind of accessible and accommodating, sometimes that's half the battle, right? You can then make your informed decision on whether or not it's something that you want to do. So this is this is what I think people should do, Dave, okay? Yeah. And this is from my extensive experience going to every theme farm activity, you pick it, events within probably 100 miles of my house is do your research ahead of time. Go on Yelp, go on Google reviews, pick up the phone, call, ask the question, you know, are you accessible? If you know that that you're going to want to do the slides, are there rails for me to hold on to? Are there steps um, going up to the slide or is it, you know, a dirt hill? Because both farms are in my area. I found that those that kind of have the attractions open throughout the entire year uh, tend to be more accessible than kind of the little pop-up pumpkin farms um, and event farms. Uh, They tend to just throw up some bounce houses, you know, throw some tubing down and call it a slide where the ones that really try to attract people all year tend to be a little bit more accommodating. Um, they tend to put down some wood to help with the some of the stairs and things like that. Uh, still not what I would consider to be wheelchair accessible at all. Um, but you really need to, to ask the questions so you know what you're getting into. Because if you're going on a family adventure thinking that it's something that you're going to be able to enjoy with the entire family and you get there and find that you know, you can't get your wheelchair through the the trail and you still had to pay, you know, $18 to get in, then nobody's going to have fun. And, you know, the only person who who kind of makes that in that situation is the farm because they get all your money. Um, Do your research, know what you're getting into. Um, When you go to these events, there are some things, you know, once you have an informed decision, Dave, then you can decide, first of all, if it's something that you want to do and what you can do to prepare for that situation. So, so Peg, let, let me interrupt you for a sec, Peggy. When you are, when you make that phone call, when you do your research and you do call somebody, do you tell them your situation specifically? I do. I do. And I just, I, you know, explain that I'm an amputee. My child really wants to come. I have some questions about the slides. How accessible are they? Can you explain the walk up to the top of the slide. Can you explain your bounce house rules? Um, I found I never thought that that was going to be an issue, but in the past two years, that has been an issue with me bouncing either in the bounce house or on the jumping pillow. Um, I've been asked to leave a few times because they considered my prosthesis a risk. 
um, or a puncture risk. And I've never had that happen before. So now I ask that question as well. Um, but the more information that you can provide the, the farm when you're making the phone call, the better information you're going to get in return. Yep. Okay. Great. Um, so I know what I need to bring. So when I knew that I was going to this one particular farm, um, I knew that the the slides were not permanent structures and that they were literally just, you know, tubes placed on a hill. So I was going to have to be schlepping up dirt hills that are quite steep with rocks and things like that. Um, I made sure to wear, you know, my hiking sneakers. I wanted something that I knew would be really grippy. I, I brought, you know, you can bring a foldable collapsible cane with you if you need a little bit help walking or a walking stick, if that's something that you feel you might need. I made sure that I had my repair kit for my prosthetic in my car, right? Because when you go to these places, this is the kind of situation where you really have a lot of wear and tear on your device and it can really ruin your day. So I try to always keep my supply kit in the car. Sometimes I'm not that great about it, especially if I had to bring it in and rate it for some reason, but I make sure that everything that I need is in the car. I make sure that, that you know, my limb was in really good shape, bring some extra band-aids, bring some extra socks, that sort of thing. You try to be as prepared as possible going into this situation. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Do you have like a go kit that you bring with you specifically around your, that relate to your prosthesis for those types of events? I do. I do. Uh, the first thing that I have in it are actually a little pack of baby wipes because the components get really, really dirty and muddy and dusty. Um, and I want to be able to clean off the gunk before I get in the car and that sort of thing. I also have the hand sanitizer to help with getting my leg on and off. And I have the wrenches that I need. What about, um, do you bring extra liners with you for these types of things? I usually do. So I actually don't have an extra liner right now, but that's, you know, a fight for another day with my insurance company that's still going on, but typically I do. Yeah. So basically you're bringing, a, if we were going to try to generalize what, what we're saying is if you have backup supplies and materials, particularly when you're out, outside in an environment that can get a little, uh, little nasty, particularly depending on weather, uh, having backup stuff there that you can just go into the same way that you would if you were um, going to go take a hike in the rain and you would want, um, or you're going hiking for a day and you wanted a change of, you know, shirt or a change of pants if everything got really wet. It's the same kind of concept, except it's specific to pros uh, your prosthesis, right? Right. And you want to make sure that you're wearing, if you have more than one prosthesis and you have your choice of components, you obviously want the components that you're going to feel most comfortable with, the components that you're going to feel safest with, but you also need to factor, you know, the components that are going to provide you the most rugged terrain accessibility, right? So you don't want to go uh, with your highest end prosthesis, if you can make do with another one that doesn't have all of the bells and whistles that may not be as sturdy, especially if you're in a situation where it could be getting very muddy or very, very wet. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. And have you ever, I mean, describe a time when you've had to actually rely on all of this, one or more of these things um, in the real world after you've prepped? Where I've had a breakdown? 
Yeah, where you just something's happened and it's like, oh, thank God I brought all of this. Oh, well, I I was on a jumping pillow, I guess, three years ago, uh, a pumpkin jumping pillow, and all of a sudden my foot separated from my socket. Not good. I was like, well, that's that's really, really a bad day. I mean, it was a Halloween-themed event, so it kind of – I was able to play it off. Otherwise, all the kids, I think, really would have been scared that all of a sudden my leg literally fell apart when I was jumping. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I was very, very thankful that I had my wrench with me so that I could put it back on and tighten everything down. If, if I didn't, I and I still, I think back to that and think, I don't know what I would have done. Right? I mean, I would have truly would have been stuck with two kids in the middle of a jumping pillow without a foot. Yeah. So that seems problematic. Yeah, it's not something that you want to play around with. So ever since then, I found that it's much easier to just kind of throw it in the bag, make sure you always have it with you. But especially when you're going to situations where you know that there's going to be more activity um, stresses put on your devices, you really want to take those extra steps to make sure that you're safe. Yep. Makes sense. So if we summarize this, Peggy, I think there are sort of three main things. Um, you can't always get accommodations for your disability. And the American with Disabilities Act doesn't always mandate that reasonable accommodations have to be made. And so fundamentally, what we're recommending here is research and plan ahead. And um, you can look at our show notes, and we have a few examples of that. But Peggy, you've given a whole list of examples of really smart ways that you can prep, uh, plan, and come prepared to these events so that if disaster does strike, you're able to uh, keep on going and, and not get sidelined by uh, a prosthetic malfunction. You know, the idea is really just trying to be prepared for the unexpected as much as you can. Um, and Dave, we didn't talk about this story, but I'm going to throw it in here right now. Um, over the summer, I took my, my kids and my niece and nephews on what's called the ice cream trail, right? So it was from the state of Pennsylvania and we had to visit 14 local ice cream places and get little stamps. And then at the end of the summer, you get an ice cream bowl and a shirt, right? Yes. This is like the Holy grail of ice cream ventures. Yes. Yes. Um, and they had a blast doing it. But what I learned on this is that a lot of these ice cream places are actually farms that have ice cream stores in them, which was really cool to be able to kind of get out in the country and you got to see the cows and all of that, but they didn't have handicapped accessible bathrooms. Um, even though they, and I, I still find that kind of mind boggling that they would have been put on the ice cream trail, which is kind of the state of Pennsylvania saying, you know, we, these places have been vetted, go visit them. And then when we got there, they had porta potties in the middle of a farm, which is fine, but not one of those porta potties was a handicapped accessible porta potty. Right. And that's not something that I would have thought to call about. Um, you know, and I, I wasn't in a situation where I needed to, to use it, but, you know, nor did I need those accommodations. But I, I think about some of our friends and I couldn't help but think, you know, I wonder what they would have done or how they would have felt during that situation. Um, and in that situation, I actually did talk to the manager of the different facilities and pointed out that their, their facilities were not handicapped accessible. And if they're they're expecting a lot of people this summer, they might want to put in an accessible porta potty. 
So what was the response you got? Uh, they were all actually, I was very surprised. All of them, except from one was very, very kind, said it honestly, it wasn't even something that they thought about that when they got the go ahead from the state that they were going to be on the ice cream trail, they were told that they had to have three bathrooms. It never occurred to them that, that they should get an accessible porta potty as well. Yeah. And probably most, I mean, as you're talking through this, I actually, although it's a matter of common sense and I should have assumed it, I didn't ever think about it either until you just mentioned it right now. So I'm sure that these business owners didn't even know that there was such a thing as a handicapped accessible porta potty. Right. So I guess the moral of that is, you know, if you're in a situation and you find that something really isn't accessible and you know that there's an easy fix that would really make the experience more enjoyable, if not for yourself, but maybe for somebody else, you know, feel free to bring it to, to management's attention. And it's, it's very much like we talk about with TSA and any kind of time that you're dealing with any kind of authority or anything like that. Just try to be kind and, and as positive as possible. Um, yeah. When you're bringing these ideas and suggestions, I found that, that most of the businesses, except for one, were really, really nice about it. Yeah. Good advice. And, and that's, you know, we, we say that repeatedly. It's you're, you're going to get more with a smile and kindness than with um, being obnoxious and and um, somewhat peremptory in your discussions with people. So always good advice, but glad to know that of the places you flagged this for, that the overwhelming reaction was positive. Yeah. So, so are you going to any fall farms this year, Dave? Honestly, Peggy, it's not on my to-do list. Okay. <laughs> but my kids are a little bit older than yours. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and weekends are typically spent with um, either um, them running around with, with their friends and, and not so much with us. Or if we're going out with them, it's um, typically not to stuff like that just at this age because it's not something they're as interested in anymore. Well, I've been to four already. And I have a feeling that, you know, the season is just beginning. So, you know, if I find anything else, I will definitely report back. Awesome. Well, thank you, Peggy. It's a great topic and I appreciate you flagging it as an issue. And I'm glad we were able to cover it for our listeners. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.